Welcome to Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports, episode 99. Welcome to Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports with your host, Rob Elwood. Join us as we open the door and take an unforgettable journey to unlock the full power of sports on and off the field. Listen to personal stories and reflections from incredible leaders who are sure to move and inspire you. So listen and enjoy another episode of Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports. Sometimes as coaches, you know, we always say, oh, it's great meeting, you know. And then, and then, you know, Tracy Mayer, who, again, was a longtime coach in Amherst, he'd always say, yeah, well, why don't we ask the kids if they thought it was a great meeting? You know, because, you know, it's, it's what are they actually taking from you up there pontificating this and that? So um, it's all about communication, and it's not what I know. It's what I'm able to convey to my players and what they're able to hear and, and, and then go out and execute. Okay, Who Are You Nation? I am extremely honored to introduce our special guest today, EJ Mills. EJ, are you ready to put your game face on and join our team? Uh, I am uh, I am cranked up, Rob. Absolutely. Cranked up. Absolutely love it. EJ, please take a moment, introduce yourself, and let Who Are You Nation know what you're up to these days. Uh, well, I've been, uh, I'm the head football coach at Amherst College, which is... Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an incredible place to raise your family. Uh, Amherst is a, is a college town, uh, and Amherst College is one of the, you know, the top liberal arts schools in the country. Um, and uh, I've been really blessed to be here for 21 years. Uh, 17 is the, is the head football coach, but um, I'm just, uh, we're trying to crank it up and, and get ready for a, for another season. Um, you know, I've, I've got a great family. My wife Angela. Uh, actually went to Amherst College. She's a 95 grad. Uh, was a Hitchcock like yourself back in the day. We can explain that later. Yeah. And uh, I got two two boys, uh, 12 and 10, and they keep me pretty busy. So, but that is uh, that is my deal. I'm, I'm the head football coach and wearing a bunch of different hats at the college and uh, love what I'm doing every single day. That sounds great. And typically in a Division three school, I know uh, back in the day at least you were coaching some other sports as well. Do you still do that? I, I am an assistant men's golf coach. Uh, which is which is a pretty nice gig. Um, <laughs> my primary my primary function is to plan the spring trip because uh, our head coach Jack Arena is the hockey coach, and so uh, we are going to Pinehurst this year. Spend some time uh, getting that squared away. Uh, so yeah, that is my official uh, second duty is the assistant men's golf coach because I have a, a definite passion for the game of golf and uh, and I and I love it. That's fantastic. Well, EJ, to officially get your game face on, do you mind sharing a motivational or inspirational quote, something that's meant something very dear to you along the way in your journey? Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, you know, whenever I start talking to anybody or talk to my team, it's all about attitude. Um, you know, attitude in, in my mind is the is a thing that we have an opportunity to control uh, on a daily basis. So, uh, you know, depends on who you talk to. Charles Swindell, you know, he was an author uh, of the Grace Awakening. John Maxwell, uh, failing forward, um, he says it as well. But I always say life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to what happens to you. Um, and it all goes back to attitude and dealing with adversity 
and you know it's the you know this happened how are we going to deal with it um because as we know um life doesn't always uh, life isn't always fair we don't always get great hops um but it's it's how you're going to deal with it and to me um that's what life's all about it, it's having a great attitude and and dealing with whatever it is that comes your way Absolutely love that quote, and especially in a game of football, where as we know, every 30, 40 seconds, we're going on to the next play, and uh, it is how, how we deal with success or failure on that play or on that quarter or in that game or season. Got to keep moving forward, and attitude, as you mentioned, is something we can always continue to uh, pay attention to and be aware of, so... Good stuff. Yeah, no, it's uh, you know, and it's life, you know, because I mean that's just the way it is. I mean, um, we don't always get what we want, and it's you know, how do we uh, how do how do we deal with that, and how do we approach it? So, and, and we have a chance to control it. So that that's 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 the that, that's a, always been very important to me, and something I I preach to our teams all the time. Yeah, that's a great word. Who are you, nation? If you're listening right now, the word control. We talk about the controllables all the time, EJ. The controllables are the key. If, if you're getting upset during a game, it's naturally, or, or you're getting frustrated during a practice, it's natural, of course, just based on the competitive nature. But what can really get a coach going is when the controllables get out of control. Does that, does that make sense what I'm saying that? Does that yeah, really Absolutely. You? I mean, I, you know, one of the things, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, whatever, competitive greatness and, and being your best when we need you to be your best and, and how do you get that? And, and so we talk a lot about like mental mantras, you know, trying to, you know, that, that our mind often can wander and the negative can seep in, but, um, you know, you need that phrase, that word to get you refocused. And so, you know, one of my big ones is, is when, you know, what's important now, you know, like whatever, you know, that try and get you refocused in terms of, Hey, whatever happened, it's, it's over. And now we got to go on to the next play, the next, you know, the next drill, whatever it is, it's, it's all about the now and, and, and when, which is, you know, what's important to me right this second, that's where I've got to put my energy. And, uh, so again, that's, a, that's certainly something that, um, I, I think helps organize my day, but it also is something we preach to our kids all the time. It's like, Hey, let's, let's control what we control, which is this play, you know, it's not the previous one or the next one. It's this one right now. So that's a, that's a big part of the process. I think of being successful in anything that you're trying to do. Exactly. And football is going to end at some point for the students you're working with student athletes. And it's all about what happens next. And that's why, of course, we speak about the life lessons of sports, because I find those who play sports or been around the game at this age, high school or college are definitely taking on those lessons, which is (laughs) control your attitude, don't get too fired up don't get too low maintain a steady balance and we are able to accomplish almost anything uh, that comes our way absolutely and I, I you know again it's 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 certainly you talk about division three athletics you know i mean at the big time you get the you know the money that the attraction but at our level i mean it really is you look at a school like amherst that's is as good as it is academically why do we have football we have football because it, it, it's it's an opportunity to be an extension of the classroom and it's it's a vehicle to teach these kids and to prepare them to be the best you know the best leaders the best fathers the best community members the best husbands that they can possibly be and um there there's some there's definitely something going on that i believe um is teaching them those lessons that they don't always get in the classroom and that doesn't mean that's the classrooms, you know, that's where they're getting their degree and everything, but it's the, it's those other pieces that they're going to be able to use in their daily lives that I think, um, 
that's why I love what I'm doing, and, and, and it's certainly, I think, the most important of important part of my job let's put it that way yeah and coach i was going to ask you something later about division three but since you brought it up i'll go right into it what in your opinion is the difference in the benefit of uh, attending a d3 uh, school and participating in d3 sports as opposed to d1 d2 because i think a lot of us come out of school and we always of course those are the names we hear we hear about the d1 sports and especially in football, right? But there's absolutely yeah. nothing wrong with D3. In fact, it could be a benefit to you. Could you comment on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, at the end of the day, they're very similar in the fact that the, the thing that the guys remember most about playing the sport is the competition. It's, it's, it's the guy to the right and the guy to the left. It's the, it's the relationships that they build. And I can tell you, you know, I'm a Notre Dame fan, you know, so, you know, at Notre Dame, they're playing in front of 80,000 and, and it's a big deal. But at the end of a game, there is no, di- before again, there's no different emotion before there's no different in terms of the amount of preparation that our, our other kids and coaches are putting into it. So th- the same thing is going on, and yet it's in an environment that is very much, it's probably the right way, is that our kids are students first, their sport is important to them, and yet I think the priorities are very much set in place. We might be playing in front of 1,500 people as opposed to, like you say, 100,000, but it, it's the benefit that they gain from playing it's the relationships, it's the lessons, but there's no tangible benefit. I mean, you know, their, their school's not getting paid for, they're not getting a break here or there. Um, so it really is they're playing for the love of the game, uh, the love of the competition, and, and so there's a purity to it, and it's why I certainly like being at this level is because I, I think it's at the, at, the, at the heart, it's what sport is all about. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. And the other misconception sometimes is for those athletes who believe they have that special something within them to maybe be able to go to that next level. I, I often say to, when I've, when I've advised student athletes at the baseball level to say that, listen, if you go D3, you're going to have a chance to play. You're going to play. You're not going to have that competitive, even though it is, you're not going to have that yep. next greatest, you know, all state Florida <laughs> person coming down and breathing down your neck next year. It's still a great competitive nature, but at the same time by playing, if you're worried, even if this is part of your DNA, if you're worried about being seen or going to the next level, and if you have that attitude, let's just put it that way. I almost think it's better to be at a D3 school sometimes because you stand out and uh, that turns yeah, you away. It, it's your classic, you know, um, you know, the, the, the big fish in a smaller pond. I mean, it, uh, you, you absolutely, you, you have an opportunity. Uh, and again, the misconception might be that there's not quality players at, at this level because there, there really are the, the, the level of play is, is very good. And yet, um, if you choose to come to a place like this, you have an opportunity to maybe play, uh, right away or a lot quicker. If you're good enough, they're going to find you. And, you know, and, and it's, it's one of those things where certainly Amherst had a, uh, a run of guys that played in the NFL and even the MLB are in, and, and obviously have, 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 have a, have an impact in professional sports, but, um, if you're good enough, they're going to find you, but it, it really is, you're going to have an opportunity to do the thing that you love, which is compete, uh, and, and go out and, and, and not necessarily 
practice and, and be on the sideline, but you're going to go out there and, and, and be on the field doing your thing. Yeah, well said. And the parallels go beyond just sports, EJ. You look at the, what should I join a big company or a small company? Should I go to the big school for academic and postgrad or the small school? You know, it's just really about what fits your style, but there are those benefits. And I really appreciate the way you just broke it down for us seeing in D3 and it's just a very good perspective. So I'm actually going to go backwards a little bit if you're okay with that. I'm sure. Gonna, I'm going to take us back to when EJ was running around as a 12-year-old. And what was it like when you were at that age, both school, home, and then just having fun playing sports? I know you're a big sports guy. So paint that picture for us. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in Rochester, New York, uh, you know, upstate. So we had a, you know, we had our share of uh, a lot of street hockey in the winter, you know, because uh, – what we used to do but I mean I was a sports junkie I mean it it was and I've always had a passion for what I was doing now as growing up you know I was the classic you know football in the fall you know we played my yard was kind of the yard you know you you played tackle football back in the day in the yard um, you know you know picking it up in the neighborhood where everybody you know there was no fences you kind of walked around and uh, you know unlike today you get off the bus you run and we were making teams and we were playing as it segued to the winter, you know, we were playing, I was a hoop guy. I was playing basketball, shoveling the driveway to, to, to be able to play outside. And, uh, like I said, we did, there was a hockey contingent. I never quite got into that, but, um, did the street hockey stuff. And then baseball was definitely the passion, you know, the little league. My dad was our coach playing baseball, played for the jets in Gates, New York, which was a dynasty. I might add, um, <laughs> seven years in a row, we won the league. My dad, with my older brother for three, then we had a gap year, and then my three years. It was just a lot of fun. I mean, it, that's what it was. It was about sports, and, and then my dad was a golf course superintendent, so kind of mixed into that, I was playing golf since the time I was three years old. And uh, so it was, it was all about sport. I grew up as a Catholic kid. I went to Catholic grammar school and high school, and that was it. But I, but I was hooked, you know, from day one, And I think anybody that has known me for a long time is not at all surprised that I'm a coach. Uh, I I was, I was probably that, I was that kid organizing the game or whatever, you know, way back, you know, when I was six, seven years old. Yeah. So you're the the kid that when I would catch a ball and it was a great catch, you'd come out and say, no, that was out of bounds. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just remember playing pickup football it was, you know, I was always about trying to keep the teams fair. I wanted to have a good game. And you know, like if you get the bum teams, it would just get, you know, all of a sudden they'd throw a forward, you know, like the double forward pass or they'd throw the, you know, and you, you knew the game was disintegrating. So I, I was, uh, um, I was always about trying to get good teams so that we could have a good game, you know, making the calls to get the guys at the, at the playground at the right time. I, w- I was an organizer as a little kid to, to, to make sure we were playing, you know, getting the game going. So that was definitely me. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Well, it's a great segue to the next question is when did it all click for you? And what I mean by that is football at the next level after high school, but as well as coaching. I mean, this is your profession. This is your job. This is your legacy right now. I mean, 20 years is a long time and, and I know you're going to keep on going here. So, so when did it click for you that football was going to be your life, a part of your life? You know, it's funny to me because I, you know, as a baseball player, you know, I played football, basketball, and baseball in high school, but I went to the University of Dayton as a baseball player. You know, physically, it fit me better. Uh, I had an opportunity. I was Division One baseball. You know, we we weren't the the you know the, the top team, but it was it was a great experience for me. But you know, I I was I became a teacher. I got out of high school, 
and I, I worked for a guy named Dave Wickham at Mid Lakes High School, and it was just, I mean, we had these incredible two years of coaching football with a guy that was unbelievably organized, and I fell in love with the, the game. I'd always loved football, but it was the preparation. You know, it was, it was the way the game was coached and broken down. And maybe as a baseball player, through my history, I, I, I probably, and, and, and not to say I don't know if I was coached, it was never broken down. It was a little bit of a, hey, throw the ball out, hey, let's go play. And I loved the way that football analyzed the game, broke it down, taught it, and that was it for me. I mean, I, I was a high school teacher for two years, and when I realized that you could actually coach for a living and, and maybe not have the other responsibilities, because I loved my teaching, but, you know, it's just you, you get torn. Um, so I got an opportunity to, to be a graduate assistant. Um, you know, it's funny, Mike Welch, who's the head football coach at Ithaca, uh, and he just was named the president of the American Football Coaches Association. Um, I was working in school suspension. You know, one of your duties as a teacher, you got a period where you're, you're sitting there with the guys in trouble. And he came down, he was visiting the school to recruit some of our players. And um, he came down and, and told me about, you know, this is, this is his path. And he went to SUNY Albany and worked for a guy named Bob Ford, who was at Albany for 44 years. And uh, just retired, Bob Ford, and that, that was it. I got an opportunity to go to Albany. I left my teaching job, was a GA at Albany, and that was it. I mean, I was, I was hooked um, on that, uh, on, on, the, on the life of, of coaching football and, and, you know, hopefully having an impact on guys' lives. So that was a deal for me. Yeah, no, it's a great summary. And then I know before you mentioned, before you took the head coach at Amherst College, you were an assistant coach, and yep. head coach goes on, takes another opportunity. What's it like? in that situation, right? Because one might say, here's a great opportunity to, uh, you know, really create your own program and with all due respect to the school and what's already been built, but others may look at it as, well, geez, you have some shoes to fill here. What, what does that feel like immediately? And then how does it settle in as you head into that season? Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, because when I, when I did, I mean, you know, Jack Sedlecki, who was my boss and, and one of my great friends and mentors, and, you know, he, he left to go to Yale you know, do, do you go with them? Cause you know, or do you try and stay? And I was named the interim head coach. So they didn't, you know, you, you had to kind of prove yourself. I was a young guy, but it was just, I, I don't know. It, it's funny how I never hesitated. It was definitely felt right. I've always been a gut guy uh, to me. This was a place that I loved. I loved what it was all about. And I had great relationships with the kids. And I was like, this is, this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, I felt confident in, uh, in, in the ability to kind of lead that group and, and kind of understood what we needed to do. Um, and not that I didn't make a gazillion mistakes and, and you're constantly evolving and learning, but to me, it felt right. And I'm a loyal guy and it just, I don't know, it just, it, to me, it was one of those things where this is, um, this is what I worked for and it, it happened a lot quicker than I thought it was going to. Um, and so you just kind of, you know, you, you take it and run with it. And, yeah. and if you're working hard, you figure good things are going to happen. So Great insight there. Now, before we move on to some other things here, one thing I forgot to ask was, did you have a job growing up? If so, what was it? First one, memories and takeaways from that job. Uh, I mean, well, again, I, I mentioned it briefly. My dad was a golf course superintendent. Yep. So the two things that I did, I started caddying at the golf course when I was 10 years old. And incredible because, you know, you're sitting there, you're probably hearing some conversations as a young kid, 
probably, you know, because these guys, I, I used to the caddy on Saturday morning, and I, as I think back of it now, these guys used to stumble in there probably uh, uh, out a little bit late the night before uh, doing some different things. But, um, it, you know, it's, it's an incredible skill to be as a young person to engage these adults and kind of know, and you start right away as a caddy, you know, you got to know when to pump this guy up. I was a pretty good little player myself, so I could read the greens, you know, and, and, uh, but I thought as a young person, the, the game of golf and caddying, um, you know, gave me some insight as to how to deal with people and, you know, when they're maybe feeling good, how to, you know, they've hit a bad shot. Hey, we're okay. We'll get, you know, we'll get it back here, you know, and that was at a really young age, it, it, the same kind of things you do as a coach. Um, and then I worked on the golf course, uh, you know, pretty much my entire life, cutting greens, raking bunkers, but the people that I worked with, I mean, Caddyshack, you know, that great movie came out <laughs> in 78 and I was living that. I mean, the thing, I mean, it, it, it was so funny, but I mean, some of the classics of a dynamic of a golf course, uh, and a private golf course were, were, uh, they were great lessons. And I, I, I will never, uh, I, that was pretty much my job. I mean, I worked on a golf course and, and taught and coached. Those are my two things I've done in my life. So, it. uh, there's a lot of good stuff as a kid, uh, working on a course. Definitely. Well, being around your dad, being outside, being around sports and being around others and watching their success and failures as it so often is in golf. I'm sure uh, you learned a yeah, lot. Yeah, it's, it's a great, you know, it's, it's a, it's such a, uh, humbling game as, as they all are, but yeah. golf is, is one of the, you know, the most. And, and so it was, it was just neat to, to see the doctor, see the lawyer, see the different people, the success, you know, I mean, it, it was just kind of a neat thing for me as a youngster to, to be in that environment and learn how to kind of, uh, you know, kind of handle yourself in those different social settings and different things. So it was, it was a, it was a, a great learning ground for me. Fantastic. So we are going to move on here to what I like to say, choices and challenges. So challenges, but really going back to that word choice, uh, as we know, you know, EJ, every day we're making choices and sometimes they are prominent ones. So these build the foundations of what we are as human beings, as well as the people around us. Do you recall a situation when you made a choice, which may have been risky at the time and what it was and how it turned out for you? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, a lot of it is, is for me, um, a lot of the big choices that I've made, you know, in terms of my profession, you know, a, it was, it was staying at Amherst, I mean, no doubt about that. I mean, it, you know, a lot of people, you know, said to me, you know, why don't you, why don't you move up the level? You know I mean? There's such a, there, there's such a thing when people always say, why wouldn't you want to coach at that level? Or, you know, so, you know, part of it was making the decision to, to stay at Amherst and, and kind of create, um, you know, uh, you know, whatever you call it, a legacy or et cetera here and being in a, in a place that you love. Um, but a lot of it is, has been, uh, the coaches that, that I've, um, hired. I mean, you know, one of the, one of the, the big decisions I had to make right when I got hired was who are you going to, you know, I'm a defensive guy, you know, it was, it was who, who am I going to hire to run the offense? And I heard Don Falstick, um, guy that I didn't know that well. Um, and, uh, but it was one of those things where, you make a gut decision, and, and it's in, interesting. The guys, I, I don't want to mention the names of guy, the other two guys that I interviewed, but they're both head coaches. One of them is a, you know, is a Division One A head coach right now. So he's done well, but I, I made, that was one of the best decisions I ever made. 
you know, was, was hiring that person, um, gut feeling, whatever. And, uh, because Dick's been with me the entire 17 years and we've had a great working relationship. So that's certainly one of those things that I don't, you know, it, it just, just a choice that you make and, and you live with them. But, uh, it, it certainly, um, was the, was the right decision for me at that time. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a great example of a choice, especially when it comes down to a team. So let's take it a step further now into the next question, which is here you are, as you mentioned, one of your most important choices was, was choosing your guy, your guys that are yep. going to be next to you during the, the constant, uh, uh, basically you know, 365 day a year job of football, whether it's recruiting, preparation, watching tape, playing, practicing, whatever it may be. You're with this family of people all day long. And so, so important that everybody has this chemistry. And let me, well, first of all, I should ask how many coaches are in your arsenal there? So we've got, and we've got a great situation. We have six, including myself, six full-time guys. You know, they, these are guys that, that, you know, that are full-time employees at the college. And, uh, you know, and, and so we have a, we have a great situation in that regard for, for a division three school. And then we typically are going to have two intern guys, um, you know, that, that are in essence full-time, uh, that, that, you know, are either going to grad school at UMass or whatever. Um, and then we, we typically have another volunteer guy. So we, we have nine, um, you know, coaches typically, you know, every season that working with our kids, you know, in and out of season, but then you've got your medical staff. I mean, you know, your, your trainers, your equipment managers, there's, there, there's just all those things in football that all the pieces, you're absolutely right. I mean, um, you spend a lot of time together and, 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 uh, there's going to be, uh, like any family, there's going to be some feuds, but you, you, there's, there's got to be that overriding, uh, in essence, love that between each other that, um, you're able to, um, kind of, you know, talk hard sometimes and, 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 and make tough decisions and, and, you know, disagree and yet come out on the same page and, um, be able to have a united front and say, this is what we're doing. So, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a huge part of what you're doing. It's just like any other business, your people around you are, 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 are going to make or break the situation. Oh, completely. And, and to, to make this a little bit more personal and I, I'm sure you'll be fine answering it. As you mentioned, it's not a great idea to surround yourself with like-minded people necessarily. Now having the same core values and the same mission is one thing, but like-minded people tends to have everybody going in one direction. So if you take your own personal situation, knowing who you are, and then knowing that there's these other eight individuals around you, what other types of personalities are you looking for? Again, we're all on the same goal. We're all on the same mission. But what other personalities are you looking for knowing yourself? Should you, let's just say, for example, go to recreate a coaching staff right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, for me, it, it's about, um, you know, you want the core values. Like, why are you in coaching? You know, what would, you know, are you, are you in it for the right reasons? Which for me is, do you want to impact young people's lives? And, and do you want to, you know, have a, it's not just about, you know, the, the, the win and the loss, even though we, you know, we're competitive and we want to do things right. Um, but it, it really is, it's that it, it's first, first and foremost, a great teacher and communicator, you know, so, so that's what you look for. I think when you're, when you're, when you're hiring somebody, but I'm looking for people that are confident in their own abilities and, and thoughts because, um, that's exactly right. I don't want yes guys. I mean, I want guys and, and, and certainly we try and create an environment where, um, you know, what you say is going to be valued. But so what I'm looking for are guys that um, are not necessarily like me, but it's 
they're confident in their own abilities and we create an environment where guys can, can bring it every day and say, no, 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 you know, this is, I would do it this way. And that's, you know, we always challenge ourselves to look at things from a different perspective and say, all right, this has been good, but how do we make it better? And so that's really what I'm, what I try and surround myself with guys that are committed uh, to excellence and, and are confident in their own abilities so that they're going to come to the table with ideas and, and we're going to break them down. And knowing that at the end of the day, we're going to have a united front and, yeah. and not everybody may, it may not be their first idea or whatever, but it's like, Hey, this is the way we're going to do it. So, I mean, that's, you know, and again, a lot of it for me, it's been gut and, 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 you know, what, what are the people that, that, that are going to um, kind of fit this place and understand our kids. And, you know, we've been really fortunate to have an incredible uh, group of coaches. Yeah, fantastic. Well, it shows obviously not only from the student athletes that are graduating, but also from the records that you have, and and that takes a lot of cohesiveness and teamwork. It's not just about talent, as we all know. So, well, congratulations on that front. And as it sounds, EJ, not only a, a great football coach with technique, but also a good person to really put together that, as I like to call that, that core values and in, in, in structure by design, which is really taking the time to make sure that we're going to have that right team on the field. You got it. So you got good it. stuff. All right, moving on to communication. Wow, football. Every time I interview somebody who's in the game of football, it's just one of those big things, but in life particularly is really one of our biggest challenges. So I'm going to quote George Bernard Shaw, as I do on all my shows, and he said, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. So EJ, <laughs> can you share a story from your professional career when you either were on the witnessing, giving, or receiving end of miscommunication, and how that ended up in an, probably an undesirable outcome? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's so many. It, it's probably you, get, you don't have time, but, but one in particular, I, I, we say it, you know, we, you know, and we were joking earlier about our Friday meetings, but you know, as a football staff, you always sit on Friday and, and do a checklist, and there's a lot of things to get done, and, and one of the things that I always talk about is communicating with your players who's next in the game. Okay. Just, just that simple deal. Because sometimes, you know, I coach the secondary as the head coach, but I'm still intricately, you know, involved with the, with the defense. So I coach the secondary and, you know, so, you know, my, my free safety goes down or this kid goes down, who's next in the game. And I had a situation a long time ago where, um, you know, we had a, we had a scenario where, um, you know, we, I had a player who I think thought he was the next kid in the game. Um, I, didn't communicate that well. Um, I put another kid in the game over him. And I mean, it, at the end of the game, you know, we, we probably, it probably could have been handled better, but this kid was out of his mind mad. And he, and he, and he, and he, and he it became a very ugly scene. Um, and, and it, and it could have been probably worse, but at the end of the day, I was wrong. I should have communicated who's the next person in the game. And if I don't know, then I communicate that. I say, you know what, guys, it's going to be a gut decision because sometimes it is, but at least, you know, that's just, and it's something that I've, I've lived by for the last 20 years is saying, Hey, listen, make sure everybody knows who the next guy in the game. Yeah. If we don't know who's next, let's tell them that and say, it'll be a game time decision or, you know, and that's just a simple thing in communication. I think what, what Shaw said is exactly right. Sometimes as coaches, you know, we always say, Oh, it's a great meeting. Right. You know, and then, and then, you know, Tracy Mayer, who again was a longtime coach in Amherst, he'd always say, yeah, well, why don't we ask the kids if they thought it was a great meeting, you know, because, you know, it's, it's what are they actually taking from you up there pontificating this and that. So, um, 
it's all about communication and it's not what I know. It's what I'm able to convey to my players and what they're able to hear and, and, and then go out and execute. So it is a constant challenge, but that first level of just making sure everybody's on the same page so that we eliminate conflict and potential conflict, I think is a, a big part of communication. Yeah. So, so big. And I love the legendary coach in Amherst, Tracy Merritt. What a great takeaway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to be on the inside a little bit there, but I mean, you know, how was the meeting? Oh, great meeting. He'd be like, huh? Sure it was. Sure it was a great meeting. <laughs> you know, every coach in America thinks he runs a great meeting, but it, you know, it's just, you know, and it's like anybody else, you know, the, the classic PowerPoint nowadays, everybody just pops up the PowerPoint and, and, you know, so I'm a big believer in, interactive learning and, it, and you got to do it a bunch of different ways in football we talk about walk it chalk it talk it film it everybody learns differently and you've got to constantly be pushing the envelope um, to make sure that it's getting through to everybody because everybody learns differently so i'm gonna take a step further now i'm not up to speed with your latest plans nor do i want you to share any uh, secrets here but from what I understood, um, you have had an offense in place now that is 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 obviously preparations the key for the communication. But your offense that you run is unique in the way that you're. Uh, it's it's a no is a no huddle. I mean, no, yeah, no huddle and and uh, you know up tempo. You know, kind of what what obviously it, it, you know a lot of people are doing. And you know, Oregon Chip Kelly. You know, uh, you know who's a who's a New England guy and no known Chip for a long time. I mean, he, he's the one that. Um, you know, kind of at the University of Oregon, really putting it on the map. Um, although other guys had done it previously, um, but yeah, it's an up tempo. It's it's the it's the it's the fast paced, and and we've got to you know we're a signal offense now, and, and everybody's got to be on the same page. And so it, whether it's quick words, quick signals. Um, you know, Chip kind of made the board, right? You know, you know the you, you've seen on the sidelines the the big uh, boards, yes. right? Um, I keep looking for my picture, by the way, on one of those boards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was funny. The, the Auburn, uh, uh, you know, Florida State game. There was like some supermodels on there. I, my kids were like, what, "What's that?" I was like, eh. "I don't know." That was kind of dicey. I thought, but uh, uh, but no. I mean, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard Chip talk about why he did that. No. But that that was it's the McDonald's board. See, I mean, he was a, he was a you know as a, as a as a coach up in New Hampshire or whatever. Not maybe making a lot of money and, and whatever he, he goes, I was a big drive through guy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, everybody knows the McDonald's board. You know, like I'm going to have a number three or I'm going to have a number seven. So that was the, the origin of that was that if you just look at the board and, you know, things just mean something. So everybody can, you know, it's, it's, we're all on the same page and obviously there's dummy things and, and what's live and what's not, but that's where that came from was, was just basically the board of McDonald's, um, you know, Everybody knows, or, you know, maybe you shouldn't, but that, 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 uh, that was really the way that was. So it's just another form of communicating so that you can run those plays now and just, and be in, in, you know, just basically not letting people get set and creating an environment where, where people aren't comfortable and defenses, have, you know, struggle sometimes just playing that fast. Yeah. So that was the, 
the nature of that type of communication. And, and we've tried to build up, you know, incorporate that into our program and take it in different ways. Yeah. And I think it's fantastic, especially the traditional sense when we think of football, but now getting into this hurry up offense, which, which clearly is, as you mentioned, communicating over a short period of time. I mean, what a wonderful experience of graduated, gone through a program for playing three, four years and then get out and, and life slows down even a little bit for a while because you're used to that. And again, I'm not trying to make an apples to apples comparison, but when you go through a program that is emphasizing uh, clear communication, preparation, being prepared every single play, uh, it's not always perfect. We get that, but there's just something neat about that coming out and reflecting back as you go on into your different ventures in life. So I, you know, I, I do. I, I think that it's, uh, again, it's the, it's the great thing. I mean, and, and this doesn't take away things that go on in the classroom. I mean, one, one of the things that I always, I, I think where athletes have an advantage, um, and why they're, you know, why they're so desirable, you know, by different companies after, uh, after graduation is, you know, and I'll just speak to my sport. I think it happens in, in all the sports, but you're going to get coached. You're going to get evaluated. You, you, you know, we always come in on Sunday, right? And it's like, you know, film doesn't lie. You're going to, whether we won or lost, we're going to evaluate you. And, you know, this play, you did this well. You didn't do this well. Um, if you continue to not do this well, somebody might take your job. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, there's the potential to get fired. And, and so kids are in an environment where they're getting evaluated. They're getting critically evaluated. And there's a performance. If you don't perform, you don't execute, you're not going to play. Right. And, and I think that is the piece that doesn't happen in, you know, the poli sci class, it doesn't, you know, obviously you have a test, it gets evaluated, but it's, it's, it's not as critical and it's not as public. And I think, um, that's the thing that kids that go through a program, um, they're going to have been coached. And when they go to that company and, and, and somebody's, you know, you know, ripping them or whatever, um, they've been there and they got to deal with that and they got to be able to uh, understand that, you know, I got to perform. So true. So true. Well, there's a recent study, fascinating, about uh, from Johns Hopkins, Jeremy Richmond, a player of uh, an alum of the Amherst Football Lord Jeffs back in the day, who is now a neuroscience something or other that I can't uh, say or, or be particular with. <laughs> but I, I know he does important things up at Johns Hopkins, and he's been on our show as well. They have been doing a study, and it's not going to be surprising, I don't think, to you that when they go hire their next set of interns or residents, they are always looking for for folks who have been in competitive situations, especially in sports, to be able to translate that into that next level of being in an operating room. So I just think it's so valuable and so important. So my next question for you here is you're in an interesting position. The reason why I say that is because I'm about to talk about multi-sports and what it takes to, if you look from a youth sports all the way up to if you're lucky to play high school, and we say that because the percentages are low and then lucky to play college and then who knows beyond there. But you have your own experience growing up, multi-sports, playing in the backyard, as you said, and at school. Now you have the players that you're working with and you're getting to see them not only compete on your team, but you're also in the business of recruiting and having to project players. And then you have yeah. your two sons. And I know you're actively involved in their little athletic ventures. For yeah. And so what is your perspective with single sports versus multi-sports and how early do you start? When do you start? How do you pick a coach at the youth level? Because you have a unique perspective with all three of these coming together into one bucket. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I'm such a a multi-sport guy. I mean, it's, and I, and I, I don't know. And I think most of the coaches are, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, football is a game that 
you know, I mean, am I a big youth football guy? You know, I, I love the game. I think it's a great game. You know, at the youth level, there's, there's areas for improvement in all levels, but um, being an athlete, you know, and, and so for me, I want kids doing multiple sports. I, I think it's really important that you, um, you know, stay fresh, stay active, and, and do different things. Um, I, I think the specialization, um, I, I think it drives kids out of sport, you know, and I, and I think some kids, I mean, soccer, and again, I mean, I, I don't have anything against the game of soccer. I think it's an awesome game. Kids love to compete in it, but they, they got there. You got these travel teams, and they're taking kids, and they're playing in the in the fall, in the winter, in the spring. And it's um, if you don't make this travel team, if you don't do this, and they're seven years old, and, and so you're 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 driving kids almost out of the sport before they even get started. Um, so I, I just I think we need to reevaluate. I think that uh, it's important that kids um, play a bunch of different sports, and they're, and they're staying active and they're competing. Um, and then that you know they'll find their role. Maybe it, like you say, if, if we're going to get to high school, um, you know maybe we've got to start to specialize. But I, I'm just a big believer, in, and I do it with my kids, or at least encourage them to play multiple sports and stay away from you know let's not pick just one thing to do when we're 10 years old. Yeah. Um, I, that's just, you know, and I, and I, uh, I feel pretty strongly about it. No, I appreciate your candor and it's definitely a topic that is present and will be for a long time. So I always appreciate guests coming onto the show and sharing what exactly their thoughts are on the topic. Now, on this note, you were the head softball coach for a few years at Amherst and, and definitely involved. What what was it like to go back and forth at a college level from coaching football with men and then going and coaching softball with women? And what adjustments or not did you have to make? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I tell you, I mean, I, I think it was one of the great things for me as a coach to, um, you know, kind of started the program uh, at Amherst. They, they had not had a varsity softball program. Uh, they had a club level. And, and so, you know, those, you know, I, I did it just for the two years. And my first year just had this incredible collection of women that were mostly at the college for other reasons, a lot of basketball players, um, you know, actually Jen Shea was, was the pitcher who actually was kind of a softball player. And she's now the head softball coach at Wesleyan university. So it's kind of neat, um, for me to see her go on and do that. But, um, my experience, I just, I didn't know any better. I just coached them. Like I coach everybody else. Yeah. I mean, I demanded, you know, I pushed them, um, you know, we broke it down and I was amazed at the work ethic. I mean, the toughness. I mean, uh, I, I, I loved coaching them. I mean, they, you could push them. Um, and, and, um, f so for me, I didn't make a lot of adjustments. I mean, I, I, I try to treat kids properly and, but I'm going to, I'm going to coach you every single rep, every single <clears throat> pitch. I'm going to demand that you give me your best. And they were, they did that. And, and so my experience was very positive uh, with coaching the women and, and um, just, you know, really, you know, um, I don't know, the newfound respect because I, growing up, you know, the, the, the women athletics weren't quite as prominent, at least 
where I grew up and, and in, you know, my friends and different things, I just had a, a, a complete uh, appreciation for their approach. And, and, um, it was awesome. I, I, I really, and it made me a better coach because again, communicating and, and, and making sure that I'm getting through, uh, it, it did, um, it, it made me a better, better coach and, you know, today a better football coach. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that because I've heard that a lot where there's these opportunities for coaches either to fill in, start a program like you did, help assist, do whatever. And you're, yeah, you have the same approach, yet you have to learn a couple things so you can accurately teach the fundamentals and understand the game. And by doing so, you get a little bit out of your rhythm from what you're previously doing like football. But I think that's a good thing. I mean, we have a we have a saying in baseball, which is when the fastball isn't working and throw the curveball. But the, the yep. whole point there is, is that it's good to get out of your comfort zone. And as you mentioned, probably learned a lot uh, during those few years. And so, no, really, really appreciate that perspective and always, always encourage everybody to get as many experiences as they can to this topic that we're talking about, whether you're playing or coaching or can get involved in music, arts, whatever. Just go out there and enjoy. Life is too short. So... Yeah, good stuff. No, and I'll tell you the other, you know, coaching challenge is is great, you know, because I'm doing the little league now. You know, I coach the little league, and and when you're coaching youth sports, I mean, you want to talk about the importance of communication <laughs> and being able to hold the attention because you know you you got you got kids from all over the map, right? You got the real serious kid, you got the the the, the dandelion picker, you got, <laughs> and you're trying to get them all in there, and you want to talk about. Uh, the the challenge of of you know you talk about coaching challenges um, that is where you're earning your money when you're when you're trying to get a group of young kids on the same page baseball basketball whatever it is I mean you're using all of your skills uh, and 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 usually coming up short coaching those guys and they they make you better right? they really do so it's 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 a lot of fun, that's yeah. for certain. Oh, I can only imagine. I can only imagine what Tracy Mare would say after those meetings. <laughs> Good meeting? Yeah, yeah, great yeah, meeting. And absolutely. then everybody just stands there and looks at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, good stuff. So, all right, a couple last periods of our show here. Really appreciate your time. One of them is about timeouts. As you know, timeouts are called in sports either to do a couple things. One is to formulate a plan, strategize for that next step. Oftentimes, though, it's called just to halt momentum and slow down the game and potentially reverse the situation. So now let's take this into real life. When is a time where you've taken a personal timeout, EJ, uh, had to slow it down, really look yourself in the mirror and reverse the situation at that time, if you don't mind sharing a story with us? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, within, again, and I'll, uh, if I can you know, use our program, I mean, we we you know we had had some, uh, you know, had had a decent measure of success Um and, and then, you know, we, you know, what I would consider just had some really average years and, you know, like 06, 07 being the pinnacle, we, we, you know, we were five, you know, we, we ended up 500 and, and we just, you know, we basically said, we got to make some changes. You know, we, 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 so that's when we, we made a drastic change offensively. We had been a very much a pro style, run it, you know, take your time, you know, two back deal. And so we made a major change offensively. We, we wanted to empower the kids. You know, I, 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 you know, we created a leadership council amongst our players and, you know, there's a great book, you know, by Michael, uh, Abershoff, who, who's, who's a captain in the Navy. It's your ship. And tried to try to put that over to the kids that, Hey, this is your ship. I mean, let's, let, let, you got to own this thing. So it's really started taking more feedback from our players and, and trying to, just yeah, I guess improve the culture and 
and how we're going to take this thing that's been some successful, maybe we slipped a little bit, and now, you know, trying to, how do we knock the, the, the ceiling out? And, um, and so I, that was a little bit of a timeout and heading into our 08 season. We, we really kind of created, I think, the beginnings of a culture that now has been extremely successful. And, and, and we've got kids in the right mindset and mind frame and uh, trying to get them to, to own this experience, get our coaches you know, maybe out of comfort zone and, and, and constantly looking at things to improve. So, I mean, that, that was a little bit of a timeout. You, you, you're sitting around going, hey, been here a while. You know, you're doing it a certain way. We need to make some changes, and I, I think they've been changes for positive, and, and it keeps us hungry, and, you know, we, we just had a meeting last week, our staff, you know, saying, okay, we've had five great years. What are we going to do the next five and start to lay that? What, what does that look like? Because, you know, I, I don't want to leave this place. I want to stay here and continue to exceed expectation, if you will. And so that's kind of the, that was the, the title of the meeting. And, and, and that's where we're, we're almost trying to say, all right, there's another timeout. Let's go. Let's recharge the battery and, and let's tackle these next five years, if you will. So yeah. um, I don't know if that's it, but, but it is. It's just a constant reevaluation of, of, uh, what are we doing and, and how do we make it better? Yeah, no, I love it. Absolutely love it. And it's one of those messages too of, uh, of course, there's reactionary timeouts. And then there's also just the, the reminders that we need to take to uh, time out, as you said, being very proactive about it. And here we are, a five-year period expire. Well, what's next? And making sure that we don't just rest on our laurels and move forward on our previous success, that gets stale. And uh, that's where you see programs fall. And I think the great programs, and I will consider Amherst football and a couple of other sports over at Amherst, uh, exceptional at this is they're constantly reevaluating, constantly putting the pressure on themselves and on the coaches. And then of course on the team to be the best that they possibly can given the team they have every single year. So no, it's really nice to hear that. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to, I'm going to take a second to plug the book you mentioned because it's such a great book sitting right here next to me. Ironically enough, Captain Abershoff, I believe, as you said, he was yeah. a former commander of the USS Benefold. If you haven't read this book and you're in a power of wanting to understand leadership, teamwork, or you are actually in a position, no matter what you're doing in life, I mean, some of the, the chapter headings as I was listening to you is um, number one is, of course, lead by example, listen aggressively, create a climate of trust, look for results, not salutes. And then there's another one here that I absolutely love, which is generate unity and building up your people. And and just, he talks about his own little experiences there, but everybody can relate to him. I'm sure you did. And yeah, uh, man, it made me a better That's person. It's it funny. I, I, you know, one of our seniors, you know, we meet after the season. Well, th- th- he's a rising senior and, you know, potential captain for next year, whatever. And the book was sitting, I handed him the book. I said, dude, you got to read this because it's a, it's a term I use with our players all the time. And, and certainly with myself, you know, because, you know, we don't like something. We got to fix it. That book, he came to our convention, you know, years ago and spoke after he had written the book. And it is, it's, it's a must read, I think, because uh, it's a great leadership book. There's no doubt about it. Yep. Mandatory reading. Well, we got overtime here. I absolutely love overtime. Ask you some questions, get some fun answers and find out a little bit more about you. Number one is now I've known you, I've coached with you, EJ. It's been a while since we've been on the same field together, but you have always been known despite the intensity 
despite the long hours, despite everything that's going on in your to-do list, to always have an approach of humor and having fun and making sure that those around you are also doing the same. I think it comes very naturally for you. But how important is that in a game just like football where everything can be so stressful? There's never an end to studying this film. Always looking towards that next thing, as you mentioned in the play. But but maintain that sense of balance and fun. And and how, how much is that meant to you? And how, what's your secret there? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, it's a game, you know, and I, and I think, you know, I, 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 I never try and take ourselves too seriously. You know, when you have young kids, we, when you have your own children, you know, and you come home from a game, I mean, you want to talk about they don't care <laughs> if you won or lost, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, you know, that, that brings to, but uh, again, I, I've always believed in the, you know, you got to be able to, you know, laugh at yourself. You got to be able to keep things light. You, you said it earlier, life's too short. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm as competitive as a guy and, and I'm going to do it and I'm going to work, but you know, we're going to have, we're going to be able to decompress and, and we're going to be able to enjoy each other's company. And I think that's a big part of being able to, sustain anything is is you, you got to have some outlet and some humor there so um, I, I certainly agree with that and, and and believe in you know working hard but but finding time to be able to share uh, with those certainly coaches you know we you know we, we have the coaches over the house all the time just trying to you know in a social setting relax and uh, enjoy each other in, in a different setting I think it's really important and uh, with your players as well. And a huge compliment to you because even today, I'm an alum of the program. I'm an alum of the coaching staff. One of the best assistant coaches I think Amherst has ever had, by the way. I think I was in charge of the 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 uh, T. I think that's the, I think that's the responsibility <laughs> I was given. I had to make sure you the T. You got to get that T out and off the field. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's critical. Yeah, it's huge. All all uh, all league T manager. So, uh, yeah. but but seriously, when we when we get together and we talk, and whether it's baseball, football, whatnot, with the coaching staff, I know every every time I get out to Amherst, it's always we're all listen. There's the touchdowns. There's the close plays. There's the losses. There's the wins. But it tends to always go back to one of those enjoyable moments. And sometimes it's joy out of somebody getting upset or, or reflecting back on a moment when you know there was a crazy uh, situation. But it really is. It's Life is too short. And it's all about looking back as we get older, reflecting and creating and, and strengthening that bond that we had during those four years, either with each other or with your coach. So it's just good to hear that. It's really good. Yeah. And you've done a great job at Amherst with that. And I know we have a lot of happy alums out there that are saying great things about you and the program and of course the school so wanted to mention that so moving on here i I know you're gonna like this you were a big player uh, back in the day i just handed you a baseball bat and you're in a major league uniform you're walking up to the plate what is your walk-up song ej to get ready to face that pitcher and put you in that proper mindset well i mean i'm a a boss fan i'm a big springsteen fan so you can pretty much put anything Born to Run is one of my favorites. Thunder Road, whatever. I just, I love that. That that cranks me up, you know, right there. Shook me all night long from ACDC yeah, yeah. is another one of my pre-gamers that I love. But it's funny. This is, I don't know if I, you know, if, if you've ever heard this song, I, I know I'm giving you like eight answers, but <laughs> The Parting Glass, which is a, a song by Sean Davey, which is, a, it's in the movie Waking Dead Divine, which is just a classic movie if you've never seen it. But it's kind of like a, you know, it's kind of like an Irish wake song, you know, mm-hmm. the parting glass. In, in essence, the the they're they're toasting to a guy. Uh, I love that song, but it, it's not a crank it up song, but it's just a 
um, it's a it's a weave song that that is kind of appreciating a life. And I'm a big Irish wake guy, meaning if, if when somebody does pass, I, I like to celebrate their life, not necessarily more than the loss. I don't know. I just gave you seven answers of songs, yeah. but but uh, um, <laughs> that that would be that would be my those would be my tunes. But shook me all night long is still one of the ones that I love in the locker room. And sometimes kids' music today just drives me bananas. <laughs> uh, it's so bad. But um, I try and I dare try and continue to to insert you know what I define as quality music into the locker room. But it doesn't always get appreciated. But well, uh, that's all right. But yeah, any any Springsteen is, it would probably be my my lead off. So sounds good. Well, I'm gonna have, definitely have to look up the Parting Glass. Put that next to your. Oh, you gotta look up the Parting Glass. And and I don't know if you know the movie, but the Waking Dead Divine movie is priceless, and it's got a great soundtrack. So check that out. Definitely will. And I think you misunderstood the question. You're right because we did say one walk up song. You just played an entire season in the major leagues. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. We're gonna roll with that. Um, favorite sports movie. Uh, I'm a Hoosiers guy. Perfect. Absolutely. I love it. My kids, we watch it all the time. We quote it. I am a Hoosiers guy, throw and throw. How about a book you're reading now? You just gave us one before, but one that you're reading now that you could recommend to Who Are You Nation? Yeah, I just I just finished uh, Fearless, which is a book by Eric Blem. On, it's, it's basically on a guy named Adam Brown, who is a Navy SEAL Team 6 guy. Incredible book of just overcoming adversity and you know unfortunately he was killed in the line of duty but um it's it's called fearless which was is a is an incredible read but i'm actually almost finishing right now that the book by the newest book by malcolm gladwell which is david and goliath yeah great really neat read i mean he's so you know he always gets you thinking about things differently you know i think anything that he writes i'm going to read but david and goliath really really good read as well gladwell one of my favorite authors for just what you said turning things around making you think different and such a great great author with so many different takes on and angles so also a must read there good recommendation okay you are the host of the show ej and life lessons of sports who's the first guest you call up to interview well, I, I, we mentioned his name earlier, uh, Tracy Mayer. I, I might, uh, yeah. you know, who's, who's a long time coach, but I mean, I, I certainly, one of the, 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 one of my mentors certainly, uh, and, and he just retired and he's a guy that has put so many people out in sport. Bob Ford is the head coach was, you know, was the head coach for 44 years at, uh, the University of Albany, uh, SUNY Albany, took that program from a club to Division Three to Division Two to One AA. They're now in the in the CAA, going to go full scholarship, and he's put out over 400 coaches. I mean, head coaches, coaches in the NFL, One A coaches, One AA Division Three. To me, he is what teaching coaching football is all about. Uh, Bob Ford, uh, that would be. That would be number one, and my 1A would be maybe Matty Patricia, who's the, the defense coordinator of the New England Patriots, who coached with me. His first job was coaching here at Amherst, and just to kind of tra- track his path to really you know, the highest level of coaching in the NFL. So yeah. those are my first couple. So how about a charity or foundation that you either support or like to acknowledge? Well, the, the Friends of Jacqueline is an organization that tries to match kids with cancer, and, and in particular kids with brain tumor, et cetera, with teams. A guy named Dennis Murphy, his daughter was sick, and uh, she was in the hospital and, and, and just had this epiphany of trying to connect her with a team 
and basically she was adopted by the Northwestern women's lacrosse team and they would text her and, and different things while she was in the hospital. And his thing was, I got to get these other kids hooked up with these teams. And it's a, it's an incredible organization. Amherst football, we adopted a kid named Joey Widman. I think we're, we're upwards now. I think it's been six seasons. He's been with us and he's doing great and been a big part of our team and, and, and things. But uh, Friends of Jacqueline uh, is, a, is an organization that is awesome. And yeah. it's, uh, um, you know, I have a website, the whole thing, you can support it, but it's, it's a great organization and uh, it's, it's been a great thing for our team and, uh, and our connection with Joey. It really is such a, a neat program. I first learned about it, I believe, on Real Sports and then soon yep. thereafter, actually, from Amherst, heard that the, they had adopted the program as well and I think it's just continued to grow from there. So what a great, great program. We'll make sure we have that next to our show notes as well. So thank you. And then, EJ, where can we connect with you or the team, Amherst Football? I mean, listening right now, if I was a father or, or, or mother of a student athlete looking to go to the next level, I would, based on this conversation, be very interested in checking out Amherst College. So how can we connect? Yeah, I mean, you know, really the biggest thing is going, you know, going to our, our website, www.amherst.edu. We've got a really active football page and, you know, we're on Facebook. We haven't gotten on the Twitter scene yet, which they're pushing me on quite a bit to, uh, to get on the, on the Twitter. So we're probably going to start that soon, but we do, we run a lot of different camps and, and, uh, and, and obviously if, if you're interested, you know, Amherst is such an incredible school with a, with an amazing athletic department, uh, not just football, but across the board. And if you're a, uh, a strong student that's interested in competing at the at the next level. I, I certainly think you should take a look and do a youth football camp as well. So you, know, you go to the website and and you'll be able to get most of that information. Great. Well, EJ, I do have one last question for you, but before I do, I just want to let you know it's been an honor and a privilege to speak with you today. So, EJ, I know you've been a coach for a long time, but congratulations, you've officially been inducted into another team. It's called Who Are You Nation, and I want to personally welcome to you. Well, I, I, I couldn't thank you enough. This has been really neat for me. And just thinking about some of these things, you know, you, you don't always, uh, you know, you don't think about them all the time. And then when you, when you're asked these questions, you, you, you understand, you know, I, I've been so fortunate to be at a place like Amherst and, and be involved in, in athletics. And you know, I certainly consider, uh, I don't, everyone says, you know, I don't, I don't have a job, you know, I mean, I, I'm just coming to, coming to work every day cranked up and, and excited about uh, the opportunity to keep building our teams and, and impacting young people's lives. That's what I love to do. So this has been a great opportunity for me. So I, I can't thank you enough. Oh, well, thanks, Coach, for coming on. Really appreciate that. And as I mentioned, I do have one last question. All of our listeners know it's who's calling you right now. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's what I love about edits. Um, yeah. So, Coach, this is the part of the interview where we go behind the scenes and get one last story from you about Coach EJ Mills. It's something you're very comfortable sharing with friends and family, but it's one of those things, too, where if you haven't asked you, you're just not going to tell. And do you mind sharing something with us to, to let us go here and, and let us know a little bit more about who are you, EJ Mills? I go back to the 1980 Olympic team. I was in eighth grade, and it was it was just a powerful thing in my life. And and I remember when we when we defeated the Soviet Union. I was at a I was at a CBA basketball game, you know, because they they had given the score, and then when we when they actually announced the 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 the, 
the final score, they stopped the game and played the national anthem. Who are you, Nation? Our guest is ready to go inside the locker room. Are you? Gain exclusive access to the story as well as those from all of our guests. Visit whoareyousports.com where there is a page dedicated especially for all of our listeners at Who Are You Nation. Until next time, please remember both in sports and in life that it's not all about the scoreboard so much as it is about our dedication to becoming a better teammate, healthier person, and adopting an efforts over results mindset.